We are in the uh, third part of a series called the Book of James. We're going through every chapter in the Book of James this summer. And so the first two weeks we looked at James chapter 1, James chapter 2. And just so you know, the Book of James was written by... Okay, just want to make sure we're all on the same page here, okay? Tell me, somebody shouts out, Paul, I'm leaving, okay? So it's written by the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was, uh, who, we know that that had to be a pretty tough gig to be the brother of Jesus, but uh, he, he wrote a book, he became a pastor, wrote a book called the book of James, sent it out to 12 different areas to encourage, to challenge. It is the most practical book. The Bible is um, so practical, but uh, James is really a practical book. It's actually the New Testament Proverbs. If you like Proverbs uh, in the Old Testament, New Testament Proverbs is really James. It's, he's straightforward. He's a pastor at heart. He loves his people. And so he writes this book as just an encouragement to the church. It's written specifically to Christians for them to be encouraged, challenged. And uh, he, he addresses certain things that he's seeing that he doesn't like in the church. And so he's just point forward. He's one of those guys, he's just going to get straight to the point. How many of you are one of those people, you just get straight to the point? Okay, this is, yeah. How many of you are married to somebody who gets straight to the point and you don't like that? Okay, all right, anyways. But today in James chapter 3, we're going to be discussing uh, James 3, 1 through 12, and we're going to be looking at the topic of the tongue. Everybody, I'll give you one, I'm going to give you one chance right here. One, two, three, I want everybody to stick out your tongue. One, two, three. It's the only time that you get to do this in service. If I find you doing that while I'm preaching, you will be excommunicated. <laughs> We're going to be talking about the tongue for our time today. And James chapter 3 is the longest discourse, the longest teaching on the tongue in the entire Bible. James spoke about, actually about our words and what we say in our tongue 14 different times in the book of James. You saw it in James chapter 1, 2, 3, and you see it almost in every chapter where he is addressing something in regards to what people are saying and, and how they are using their tongue. And so today I want us to begin our time together by going into James chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 2. If you got some note cards, wave them at me. Let me just see that you got some notes. We are a note-taking church, just so you know. Um, if you didn't get note cards, I don't know. Do we have any more? If we have any more, yeah, we, we should have some. But um, you can follow along on the screen, and uh, we've, we want you to be engaged and involved in the sermon here. So James chapter 3, verse 2, let's begin here. It says this, Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Come on, how many thankful that's in the Bible right there? <laughs> I, I love this church already. Okay, indeed, we all, everybody say all. Okay, we all make many mistakes. Now, here's how he's going to go. He's going to say, we're making many mistakes, and here's where we're probably making many mistakes. For, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. He says, man, we, we all make a lot of mistakes, but I think where we're making the most mistakes is we're not able to control our tongues. How many of you in here are talkative people? You like to talk in here, okay, everybody? How many of you, you're quiet type, you're more of a reserved type, you're not, how many of you are quiet and you're married to a talker? Raise your hand, okay, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we know people like talking. We are a generation and a culture who likes talking. That's actually a part of God. God talks, we talk, he listens, we listen. And so it's a good thing. We're talking a lot. We're always talking to people. We're always talking to ourselves. How many of you talk to yourselves in the car and people look at you? How many of you know that's really crazy now with Bluetooth? Because <laughs> you're actually, actually talking to somebody and you'd be like carrying around, you look over and the people are like, What's going on over there? So thank God for Bluetooth now because we were like, oh, he's got Bluetooth. Okay, he's all good. He's probably talking to somebody. But we're always talking. We're always talking. Statistics says that the average person spends one-fifth of their life talking. 
Now we, on average, have about 30 conversations a day. Now for some of you, you may have five conversations. For some of you, you may have 130 conversations a day, especially if you have children. No, we ain't going there. Okay, all right, all right. Everybody, mm. So that, that conversation is a little bit differently, though. You know, the statistics say that the average person, if they, if they were to document into a book how much uh, words that they said in a day would fill a single book 50 pages wide, I mean 50 pages deep. Some of you would be a 150-page book. Some would be smaller. One of the real statistics that I found that was actually a, a, a bit humorous was, I don't know if you knew this, that the, the woman's tongue is one inch shorter than the man's. Did you know that? Some of your women are like, no, I didn't know that. It's because it flaps a lot faster. And so, no. Doesn't have. Guys, we just stick our tongue out all the time like a dog is just hanging out. Women are just going. And so, yeah. You know, the, the most joyful and the most painful moments in our lives, think about this, have been accompanied with words. The most joyful moments in our lives, happy birthday to you. Happy anniversary. Yeah, that was pretty good. All right. So <laughs> happy anniversary. Congratulations. You know, the, the big joyful moments of our lives have been accompanied with words, but it, at the same time, some of the most painful moments of our lives have also been accompanied with words. I want a divorce. I hate you. I never want to see you again. How many of you can think back in your life and think about the joyful moments and think about the painful moments and, and look at those and realize, yeah, some of those were accompanied with, with words. And so for us, we, we have oftentimes a real trouble with talk. We have a hard time controlling this tongue. And James is seeing that in the church. He's seeing Christians who are saying one thing but saying a different thing and he's going, something's not right here and I really need to voice some concern to this and I need to speak to this. And so James chapter three is birthed and, and, and he specifically starts talking to us about the tongue. So that's where I wanna to go today. I wanna to talk to you specifically about the tongue. The title of today's message is Watch Your Mouth. I sh it should have been Watch Your Mouth, but I have your, yours for all the white people in here, but for all of our other people that got heart like mine, Okay, it's your mouth, all right? So watch your mouth. Look at the person next to say, watch your mouth. Okay, so you've been wanting to tell that to him for a long time, all right? So James chapter 3, starting in verse 3, is where we're going to begin. Let me give you the first notes, if you're taking some notes, and that is this about our words. Our words control our life. Our words control our life. James chapter 3 He's going to now give us some illustrations. I love Pastor James. Pastor James is, is a great preacher because he uses illustrations. He's an illustrative type of preacher. He likes to, to share imagery so you can understand what he's trying to say. And so he gives three images here. So the first one is this. Let me show you in James chapter 3, verse 3. He says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in a mouth. So he gives an illustration of a horse. He says, you know what, our words, they control our lives, much like a horse. If you ever watch the Kentucky Derby or you watch any of these horse races or polo or any of these people that are riding horses, these horses are massive. They're huge. You know, many of them are 1,000, 1,500 pounds, and you got this jockey that's like four foot six and like 85 pounds soaking wet on top of this beast and just telling that animal, telling that horse exactly where he wants it to go. Left, right, faster, slower. That animal could at any time just chunk that little jockey off. But because of one little bit, one little piece of metal that's stuck in that mouth, 
He can control the direction of where that horse is. And James is saying, our tongue is a lot like that. This one little thing right here can just control us wherever we want it to go. And then he goes and he gives a different analogy. He gives another one. He says, and then a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds are strong, in the same way the tongue is a small thing, but it makes grand speeches. It makes grand speeches. Whoever controls your tongue controls your life. And, 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 and Pastor Paul is telling us, he's saying, hey, listen, if, if you want to change the direction of your life, you need to change the declaration of your lips. The declaration of your lips, the things that you are saying are controlling where you're going in life. You ever notice that people that are always kind of pessimistic and negative, they always seem to hang around pessimistic and negative people, and then everything in their life seems to be pessimistic and negative? You've ever seen that before? Just always constantly negative, and it seems like their life is always pointed in the direction of negative things. And, and, and James is telling us, listen, if you don't like the direction of where your marriage is, change your talk. If you don't like the direction of where your life is, change your talk. Because what's coming out of your mouth is directing your heart. It's directing your soul. And so the very first thing we've got to realize is our words control our life. It dictates where we're going. Second thing is he says this, our words are never neutral. Our words are never neutral. So now he's going to give a different analogy. He's going to give fire. This is what he says in James chapter 3, verse 5. He says, but a tiny spark. If you got that in your notes, underline that, circle that. That's a real key part here. Just a tiny spark. A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire and among all the parts of the body. Then he goes on and he says this, uh, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your world on fire. Yeah, you weren't ready for that one, were you? This body's on fire. Okay, so the tongue can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire. Now watch this. By hell itself. By hell itself. I don't know if y'all remember last year. I mean, it was all over the news last year in the uh, Great Smoky Mountains, the fire that happened near Gatlinburg. Y'all remember that last year? This fire was absolutely one of the most destructive fires. It, it scorched over 2,400 homes and businesses. It killed 14 people. It cost over $800 million in damage. And when they found out the source of what caused the fire in the first place, it was two teenage boys that were playing with matches on a trail. What? A little spark. Ignited, $800 million worth of damage, 14 people losing their lives and 24 homes and businesses destroyed. What seemed like something so small destroyed everything. And the same is with our words. And, he, and this is what he's saying. He says, listen, our words are not neutral. They're either destroying or they're building. They're one or the other. You can say something today and years later still see the effect of it. It, it is a fire, and, it, and it's like a domino effect. It just begins to grow larger and larger. 
Say you wake up in the morning, you're in a bad mood, and, you know, you just kind of lay into your, your spouse, you know, because you're late, and the coffee's not there, you know, we don't have any coffee, and, and then all of a sudden, you're, you're just upset and mad, and now your wife goes to work, and so she goes to work, and then she's letting all of the people around her know how upset she is about you, and then she's upset about them, and then that employee that's working with her then, you know, goes home, and that employee now is all upset and yelling at their kids, and the kids are like, who am I supposed to yell? And they're like, yelling at the dog, you know, stop. And it's like this, y'all see it, it's a domino effect. Any of y'all been to Walmart or, or a bank or any place and the, and the, the teller or the, the clerk is mean? Y'all been there? Maybe that was you, I don't know. But we have no clue what happened that morning or what's going on in that person's life. Their life could be set on fire because of some things people are saying to them. But you don't realize how your own attitudes and the words that you say can perpetuate and can go and create forest fires in so many other areas, so many other places, and can bring destruction. And, and James is reminding us, listen, our words are never, ever neutral. Proverbs says it this way, Proverbs 18:21: death and life are in the power of the tongue. But I love the message version of it. The message version of it says it like this. Look at this. Words kill. And words give life. And they're either poison or they're fruit. And I love this. You choose. You choose. You, you, you've never spoken a neutral word in your life. Your words are either leaning towards death or they're leaning towards life. They're leaning towards building or they're leaning towards destroying. They're leaning towards raising people up. They're like an elevator. They're either taking people up or taking people down. But this is what our words do. We've never said a neutral word in our life. And so we've all been on the receiving end of people who have been destructive in the things that they've said. But can I also say we've also been on the giving end of saying things to people that has also brought them down. And can I say this, as a church, we need to make sure that we stop agreeing with what CNN and CBS and Fox and ABC, the world doesn't need a church that agrees with them. They need a church that agrees with what the word of God says. Y'all with me? When we came into this city, I remember when I moved here, I mean, the things that were said about Jennings and Lake Arthur and this area and the things that people said about this area was so degrading. And, and I noticed that the more I was around it, that the more that I began to say some of the same things that they were saying, till God began to really convict me and say, listen, are you going to speak death over this city? Or are you going to speak life? Are you going to begin to say, look, all those students, man, they're never going to do anything. They're all going to hell. They all did. They all, are you going to begin to speak life into this generation, call people to purity, call people to a vision, call people to hope? Are you going to begin to speak to racism and no longer say it's just how it is, but say, no, that we're going to be a church that loves all people. Everybody's welcome. Y'all with me? Are we just going to keep placating the things that have been passed down from generations to generations? Are we going to continue to speak poverty over our area? Are we going to say, God, I pray you're going to bring business in here. You're going to bring prosperity in here. Come on, we're going to be a church that speaks life over our city because it controls the destiny of where we are, controls our life, and it's never neutral. It's either building or it's destroying. You have an opportunity every day to choose if you're going to agree with what the world is saying, yeah, my kids, man, they all, oh, man, that's like some demons. Well, guess what they're going to be just for you? 
whatever we're saying, we're speaking into existence. And we see this in the life of Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, he spoke life into the place. I mean, think about how powerful the words of Jesus were. Jesus could speak and like rain would stop. He'd say, peace, be still in my name. I'm not there yet. I didn't. Stop. I got a little ways to go. Okay, so I'm not Jesus. But creation would respond to what he says. He could tell somebody, grow, a, grow an arm, and the arm would grow. He could tell somebody, no, you ain't dead anymore. You're just taking a nap. Wake up. And they would wake up. He could walk on water. The things that he would speak, it would respond he would breathe life into situations. What would it look like if OSC was a church that when people walked into this church that they felt encouraged and life was spoken into them? What if today, before you left here today, that you found somebody in this place, maybe somebody you know or don't know, and you just said, I just want you to know I love you. I am encouraged by you. I'm thankful for you. I love seeing you worship. I love seeing the way that you love God. Come on, what would it be like if it was a church that began to speak life instead of death. This is, this is the challenge that we have as a church and as Christians to be a people that continually speak life. Well, you go, well, is that, is that unrealistic? Are you just not being real? No, there's real challenges. Maybe your marriage isn't doing good and, and I'm not saying, you know, act like it's, it's awesome when it's not. We got to deal with the reality of what things are. But I think we can also speak in faith to things because faith is sometimes things that you never see, but you believe it because God says it. So we're going to be a people. Come on, how many thankful you're indoors right now? <laughs> Jesus, we thank you for indoors, all right? And air conditioning. So we want to be known as that. You know, all of us, in, if you have a business, there's a CEO, Every, every business has some type of owner or CEO. Can I tell you today that you are the CEO of your life? You are the chief encouraging officer. You are the chief encouraging officer, husbands of your marriage. Parents, you are the chief encouraging officers of your children. You should be the CEOs of your business. You should walk into your work and be the most encouraging person in that place. No one should encourage more than you do. Why? Because of what Jesus has done inside of you. This is who we are as Christians. God's changed us. And because he's changing us, he's changing our lips. But we realize that that's not the case. We realize we still struggle. We all make many mistakes when it comes to our tongue. Why is that? Well, let me, let's, let's go to scripture and I'll give you your next point. Our words reveal our hearts. Our words reveal our hearts. So now James is going to go into verse 9, and he says this. Sometimes our tongue, it praises our Lord and Father. So it comes up in a church, and it's like, what a beautiful name it is. And then he gets into the parking lot, and like, I hate you. Stop that. Because he goes on, and he says, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. So you walk in a church, and you say all the church things, and you, you look the part, but then you walk out and you go home and you cuss out your kids. Or, you, or, or, or you're just complaining constantly at work. And James is going, something's wrong with this. Something's wrong. You 
can't go into one place and say one thing and then go into another and say another thing. He says, so blessings and curses coming from pouring out of the same mouth, surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. We can't be doing this. He says, does a spring of water bubble out from with uh, both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Matthew 12, 34, this is, speaks to this even more. It says this, it says, for whatever is in your heart determines what? Have I said it out loud? For whatever is in your heart determines? Whatever is in your heart determines? What you say, what you say. So my boys this week got, got a little sick at the end of last week, coming into this week. And one of the first things that my wife does whenever my boys start not feeling good is here's the first thing. Hey, stick out your tongue. Open your mouth, stick out your tongue. How many know when you go to the doctor, one of the first, I'm just not feeling good, stick out your tongue. Why are they doing that? Because your tongue is an indicator of really what's going on the inside. Then she sticks what's called a thermometer inside close your mouth, and now it's going to give me a gauge and a reading of what is going on on the inside of your body. And James is saying this. He's saying, listen, if you want a gauge, if you want a thermometer to know what's going on in your heart, listen to your words. Your words, your tongue are saying what is inside of your heart. That's what Matthew was said. For whatever is in your heart determines what you are saying. Word problems are heart problems. Words reveal what's going on on the inside of my heart. Well, you may say, well, Pastor Josh, listen, you know, I don't cuss like some of these other people up in here. You know, I got, I, I got that together. I don't cuss people out, you know. You know, I love Jesus and stuff. I know better. Okay, well, that's good. But do you gossip? Do you complain? Do you criticize? Because that's, that's the Christian cussing, right? So we can, get the, we can get the external stuff looking right. Like I don't say bad words and all that stuff. But, but still on the inside, we're complaining and we're criticizing and we're gossiping about people. You know, we're, we're, we're saying things like, hey, man, listen, I got a prayer request for my brother. You know. My brother Bob, man, y'all need to be praying for brother Bob, man. Listen, he's, and, and, and we begin to share all of brother Bob's details of all of his failures. You know, Bob, man, he's, you know, he's doing this and he's doing that. That's not a prayer request. That's a gossip request. Because the question is, here's, here's the question. Can those people really help or you just feel like you just need to put that out there? We do this all the time in Christian things. I love what Rick Warren said. Rick Warren said, this is what he said about gossip. You might want to write this down. This is what he said. This is his definition of gossip. He said, when we are talking about a situation with somebody who is neither part of the problem or part of the solution. How do I know if what I'm saying is really gossip or not? Well, when you're talking about a situation with somebody who is either neither part of the problem or they can't be a part of the solution, then you shouldn't be saying it. So I'm going to tell you, this divides churches all the time. I'm so thankful, though. I, honestly, it gets killed a lot here. We cut these things off all the time when we hear things of this sort. But we've, we've got to be people, no matter where you are, no matter what profession that you have, that you make sure that the people that you're talking about, that it would be okay if they were in your presence to hear you talking about them. There was a guy, I was reading a story, a guy by the name of Robertson McQuillan, he was the former president of Columbia International University. 
and uh, he made a massively huge plaque. He had it made and he put it in his living room and this is what it said on the plaque. Look what it said on the plaque. It said, the absent are safe here. Y'all know what that means, right? The absent are safe here. This is what it meant. It, it meant if my wife and I are here and you're not here, we just want you to know that you're safe here. You will not be talked about here in a way that is degrading to you. You are safe here when you're not here. And then underneath the plaque, he had things that said like this. We will not speak harshly or unkindly about people. We will not always give people the benefit of, uh, we will always give benefit people the benefit of the doubt. We will not share details that should remain private. We will not make ourselves look good, which is usually what most gossip is. We will not make ourselves look good at the expense of other people. Now I want you to think about this. If James is saying that our words reveal our hearts, what a gift from God this is. Think about how much of a gift this is from God. Man, I don't know what's going on in my heart. Yeah, you do. God put a built-in system for you to always know what's going on in your heart, your tongue. And what a gift that is from God for us to always be able to know where we're at. It is our thermometer. It's our temperature to see how things are going. When you don't like what's coming out of your mouth, ask God to show you what's going on in your heart. When you don't like what's coming out of your mouth, ask God to show you what's going on in your heart. God, what is it, what is it inside of me? What is it? And, and I'm not preaching this as someone who's perfect in this at all. There's constantly times where I am having to check what I'm saying because it's not coming out right or it's coming out too firmly. Or my wife will look at me and be like, and I know what that means. Don't say what you're just about to say. And I have to do this constantly in my own life. So James says, okay, listen, if your words reveal your heart, then how do we control the heart? How do we get this right? Well, I have some discouraging news and then I have some encouraging news. First off, if you want to take a note here, is that the, 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 the tongue is humanly untamable. It's humanly untamable. Good news today, you can't tame your tongue. Awesome. Well, let's see. James 3, verse 7 and 8 says, People can tame all kinds of animals. They can tame birds. They can tame reptiles. We can even tame fish. Come on. Even dolphins get tamed. But no one can tame the tongue. No one. It is restless and evil and full of deadly poison. He's saying, listen, we can tame Coco the cat, but you can't tame your tongue. You can, we can tame the dog. We can even tame that, that snake. We can tame the reptiles. We can tame all these things. You can't tame the tongue. And I'm thinking, thanks for the encouragement, James. Appreciate that. I feel like I can't do anything. But then we got to realize that he actually gave us a clue on how we actually do. So if only God can tame the tongue, then what is our responsibility in it? Is it just to sit back and be like, well, God, tame my tongue. Or do we have a part to play? Well, he actually told us the part that we had to play in James chapter 1. If you go back two chapters in James 1 and verse 26, he says this, if you claim to be religious, that means if you claim to serve God, love God, he says this, but you don't control your what? You don't control your, t your tongue. 
Now watch this. Now he's going to get up in your face. You are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if you sport one of those I love my church shirts, and then you go up to Taco Bell and you cuss out that Taco Bell person, take that shirt off. <laughs> Which, by the way, I'm going to tell you, take that shirt off. I'll tell you a couple of churches you can put their shirt on, and I'm joking. And so, I'm kidding. That's what he's saying, though. He's practically saying, listen, if you're letting all about know that you're religious and, you know, I go to church and I do this and I do that, and then within the next breath, you're cursing people, complaining, criticizing, gossiping about people. He says, listen, your religion is worthless. It's worthless because you need a heart change. And only God needs to do something inside of your heart. So our responsibility, according to this verse, is to control our tongue. You can't tame it. Only God can tame it. But you can control it. So I want to leave you today with some ways to help you practically how to control this little thing in your mouth. So number one, pause more. Pause more. Stop. Before you're about to say something, stop. Press the pause button like a DVR and just stop. Hold on. And here's why you need to do that. You ready? Here we go. Matthew chapter 12 is a bit of a sobering verse, but it's a good challenge to us in this. Matthew 12 says this. Let me tell you something. Every one of these. Now, what are these two words? Careless words. Y'all know when we say careless words, when we don't stop. Y'all know when someone says, hey, you've been carelessly driving. That means you've just been swerving all over the place, not stopping when you need to stop. You just, you're just all over the map. Jesus, this is actually Jesus speaking, and he says, listen, I'm going to tell you something. And this, is, this is extremely sobering. Every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. And if you had some careless things that you've thrown out there, you're like, oh, no. And then it came back to haunt you. He says, there will be a time of reckoning. Words are powerful. So take them seriously. Now watch this. Words can be your salvation. And words can be your damnation. And we look at that. We look at that across the scope of our nation. From politics who don't know how to say things the right way, and it is sometimes salvation and sometimes damnation. We see it in all different landscapes of our culture. And God is saying you need to pause because you need to think about what you're about to say. Make sure it's not a careless word. Pause before you do anything. You need to stop and think. Because I don't think we just need tongue control. I think we also need thumb control. Right? Nowadays, what gets us more in trouble is we won't say things to people's face. We'll just say it online for everybody else to read it. I just stepped on somebody's toes. And so before you post, pause. And here's, here's, here's a good way to determine if what I'm about to say in this post or in this text or in this email or in this phone call 
especially when it comes to social media, is would Jesus retweet it? I mean, come on, that's pretty straightforward. I mean, would Jesus be cool with this being said? Would, would he be cool if he said this? And if not, is it death? Is it destruction? Is it life? Is it life-giving? If it's not, it probably doesn't need to be said. Now, that's not to say that there's not times where it needs to be correction and all that stuff, but I can tell you right now, social media is not the place to do that. And I can't tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to go post something and been like, it was like the Holy Spirit was like holding me back. There's times I've done it. I wish I wouldn't have. There's times I didn't. I'm glad I didn't. I'm going to tell you, it's one of the biggest things right now in our culture. Is people feel like they can blast people. Sticks and stones won't hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me. That person must have been deaf. Right? Right now, there's people, I'm, and this, this is honestly no joke. There are kids committing suicide because they're getting bullied online and at school all the time. Don't tell me words don't hurt. There's some of you right now that you can't do things in your own life because of the fear of what people have said over you. So don't let us have careless words. And I'll tell you where we say the most careless words. You ready? At home. No one's got the brunt in of my most careless words than my wife has. And my kids. They've gotten the most careless words out of me. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to repent of those words and wish I could have taken them back. Some of you are living out the words that were spoken to you as a child. You wish your parents would have pressed pause a little bit more. The second thing is we need to talk less. So you need to pause more, and then you need to talk less. James 1, 19, going back to James chapter 1, he gave us an outline of how this works. He says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be, everybody help me out here, quick to listen, slow to speak, and okay, you ready? I'm going to help you out here. How many of you would be honest and say you have a problem with anger? You get angry easily. Okay, all right. Can I tell you why? I'm going to tell you anyways. You talk too much. Watch. We do this. Quick to speak. Quick to get angry. Slow to speak. Slow to get angry. Y'all see it? Y'all following? I promise you, every person here that deals with anger on a big time, you talk too much. You, you cannot, you have to. I'm talking to myself here, okay? This is what Lindsay tells me all the time. You always have to be the one with the last word. This is no lie. She goes, you got to be the one with the last word, don't you? And I'd be like, yes, I do. Yet again, careless word. Why? Because I talk too much. I feel like I defend myself. I got to feel like I got to get one up, just one more up. And you might need to ask your friends, ask them, do I talk too much? Let them be honest with you. You ever been on a phone call with somebody and you couldn't get anything in? Here's why you need to be careful talking too much though. You ready? Let's go to scripture. Proverbs 21, 23. Watch your words and hold your tongue. You'll save yourself 
a lot of grief. Watch your words and hold I'm going to tell you, some of y'all may actually need to practically hold your tongue. If that will help you to start out this process, just hold it. Or ask your kids to. They're, your kids won't mind holding it for you with tongues. It says, watch your words and hold your tongue because you're going to save yourself a lot of grief. And I'm telling you, I, I, I've been on the receiving end of a lot of grief because of my own words. And I do, I've, I've done it on Sundays. Been preaching, and I looked down at my wife, and I said something, and she's like, you're going to get it. <laughs> and I've gone home, and she's like, why did you say that? I was like, I'll go sleep over here. <laughs> a lot of grief because there was a lot of words. But let me show you this other one. Watch this. Proverbs 10, 19. Now watch this. Some of you, this needs to be your, your highlighted verse of the week. Too much talk leads to sin. sin. Be sensible. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut. All right, you ready? Here's what God's saying. If you want to grow and you want to control your tongue, shut up. That's what he's saying. He said it. Don't get mad at me. He said it. Shut up. Talk less. So much of your problem. I, I bet if, if this would happen sometimes, some of you need to speak up because you've shut up and stopped talking and your wife is upset at you because you've silenced her. And then some of you need to stop talking because your spouse doesn't want to hear you anymore because they can't even say anything because you always say something. So for some, you need to speak up. For some, you need to shut up. And the Bible is telling us, listen, if you talk too much, you will sin. This is just what he says. So you need to be sensible. Pause more. Talk less. Here's number three. Surrender fully. Surrender fully. Come on, anybody getting anything out of this so far? Anybody's toes hurting? Surrender fully. Now let me bring you to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6 is one of uh, just, just such a powerful encounter that Isaiah the prophet has with God. Isaiah chapter 6 starting in verse 1 through verse 5. If you go read it on your own, you can. We just don't have time for all that. But pretty much God, Isaiah sees a vision of God. God is standing before him. There are seraphim and angels that are standing above God with all of these, these wings, six wings in total. And they are circling around Jesus and saying, holy, holy is the Lord. And, and, and he just has this phenomenal encounter with God. He sees God in a way he's never seen him before. The reason I bring you to this passage, though, is because I want you to see that when he encounters the presence of God, the very first thing that he's convicted of, he's not convicted of some of the things that he's done in his life. He's not convicted of some of the places that he's gone. This is what he is convicted of. Look at with me in Isaiah 6, starting in verse 5, it says, and this is what Isaiah says to God. He says, God, woe is me, for I am lost. And I am a man of what? Unclean lips. Unclean lips. I'm realizing, God, as I'm standing before you, my mouth, my tongue, my words have been destructive and death. And they have been unclean. And then on top of that, not only, God, are you convicting me of my own sins, but I'm realizing that a lot of that is because I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. I've surrounded myself around a bunch of people who are filthy people. 
with what they say. And then he says this, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me and having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Now watch what he says. And he touched my mouth and he said, behold, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sins have been atoned for. If we were to go across this room and do a survey, there would be a number of us, if not all of us, that would say there has been things that we have said that we totally regret. And if we could get into that back to the future DeLorean time machine and go back and go slap ourselves right before we were about to say whatever we were about to say, we would do it. But unfortunately, that doesn't exist. And Isaiah is dealing with the gravity of his sin. I've hurt some people. I've said some things. And I'm surrounded around a bunch of fools too. And God, I don't want to have anything to do with this anymore. And pretty much God sends a seraphim to bring a coal off of the altar, puts it on his lips. And I think this is the greatest part of this passage as he says, listen, your guilt is forgiven. There is no more guilt. There's no more sins. You've atoned. I'm here to tell you today, if you've said some things you shouldn't have said, you've done some things you shouldn't have done, God will forgive. He will wipe the slate clean. But that doesn't give us reason to keep doing it. If we want to see real control happen in our tongues, we've got to do what number three is, and that's surrender fully. We would say, God, take my lips, take my heart, take all of me, take it all. I'm tired of seeing what my inability to control my lips has the destruction that it's brought in my life and in others' lives. God is going to touch you. Which leads to number four. Which is, you know, we're here on a Sunday and you hear a message like this and, and you get challenged, you get convicted. You, I got to change. I know I need to change. And, and, and then Monday happens. And Tuesday. And Wednesday. And the thing that I love about James is he wants to make sure that your faith works on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That it's not just that you just show up in here, get convicted. Yeah, I really need to change that. And you go right back to whatever you do on your rest of the days. Listen, we've got to surrender fully, not only on Sunday, but we've got to surrender fully on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday. And we've got to pray daily. Number four, pray daily. Pray daily. Surrender daily. Surrender fully. So I'm going to give you two prayers. You ready? Two prayers that you can pray every single day. If God's really challenging you, you need to write these down. You need to, you need to commit these to memory. You maybe need to put them on a postcard, put it in your car, put it in the bathroom, write it on your hand. But I'm going to tell you right now, these need to become the prayers of our Savior's church. And here's the two prayers. They're both out of Scripture. David prayed it in Psalms. And this is his prayer in Psalms 19, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Now notice, notice the connection there. Remember? Our heart and our mouth are connected. 
And David recognizes that. God, may the words that come out of my mouth, but also may the meditation of what my heart is meditating on, may they be pleasing to you. For you are my redeemer. For you are my rock. So we wake up every morning before we even get out of bed. That might be the first thing you need to do. God, may the meditations of my heart, may the words that come out of my mouth, may they be pleasing to you today. God, I'm going to mess up today. I'm going to need you today. God, help me with my mouth. Help me with my heart. Let me give you the second one. Here's the second prayer. It's also in Psalms as well. (laughs) This is our prayer. God, take control of what I say. Oh, Lord, and guard my lips. Take control of what I say and guard my lips. How many know those are two very powerful prayers? Let me ask you this question. For any people that are maybe equestrians in here, when you put a saddle and a bridle on a wild horse that's never been ridden, is it tame the first day? So listen to me, and I want to say this as an encouragement to you. You won't get it under control tomorrow. Or probably the next day. Or the next. But you know what? You'll begin the process. And over time, this horse is slowly tamed. As the rider keeps getting back on. But the only way you're going to tame this beast... The only way you're going to control this beast, you can't be on the saddle. God has to be. He's got to be the ones with the reins. He's got to be the one that controls. So we got God, help me to control my lips. But really, honestly, God, would you just help me change my heart? Some of you here have have tried to stop. You've tried to, I need to clean this up. Yeah, I know I need to clean this up. You know, some of you started having kids and you realize, oh man, they're listening to what I'm saying. And they're repeating. And I got got to do something about this. So it's becoming a real deal. You realize, I got to do something. But I'm here to tell you right now, until you get a new heart, you don't get a new mouth. It all begins here. Transformed hearts create transformed lips, not the vice versa.